Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew speaks from the Gospel of Luke with this message entitled, Render Unto God What is God's, preached on January 7, 1996. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 20. Beginning with verse 20 through 26. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. To come into this new year, 1996, countless multitudes were not allowed to see it. So we have an obligation. It is to glorify God and not use up God's grace for our own selfish purposes. We must resolve by divine help to render unto God that which is God's, that we may be that salt of the earth, that light of the world, that city on a hill which cannot be hidden. We must look at the background of this Text, scripture. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It is the last week of his ministry. After his triumphal entry, he cleansed the temple and began to teach in a number of parables. Remember, the leaders were questioning him about his authority by which he was doing these things. And the answer Jesus gave them enraged them. In the parable of the tenants, the authorities were represented as wicked who will be destroyed by the owner of the vineyard, God himself. In the parable of the wedding banquet, the authorities are represented as the invited guests who treated the king and his son with contempt. Therefore, Receive destruction. The Pharisees and the scribes, the elders, they knew for sure Jesus was speaking about them. So we read in the 21st chapter of Matthew and verse 45 when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Angry authorities would not repent, but took plans to trap him in his word regarding taxes. 
in order to hand him over to the Roman authorities. Now we notice two parties coming together in unity. Two parties that were opposed to one another. Pharisees and Herodians, we are told. They have a common enemy. So these two are coming together to destroy Jesus Christ. Pharisees and Herodians were natural enemies. The Pharisees were orthodox. They believed in a theocracy. Even though they were enslaved to Rome. And before that to Babylon. And before that to Assyria. Because of their disobedience to divine covenant. God sent them to captivity. That has been their history for a long time. And yet... They entertained the notion of theocracy and therefore considered paying taxes to pagan Caesar, not kosher. To them, Jehovah alone is the sovereign of Israel, though they generally paid taxes to Caesar, they resented it. Rabbi said, pay taxes to Rome, otherwise they will discover you and deprive you of all your possessions. Then there were ultra-Orthodox zealots. They refused to pay taxes. When taxes were levied in AD 6 by Roman procurator, after Archelaus, son of Herod the Great, was deposed from power. Acts 5.37, we read about Judas the Galilean who joined with other anti-Roman factions, revolted against the pagan sovereignty over Judea and Samaria. It was a tax revolt. To them, paying taxes to Rome was high crime against the only sovereign of Israel, God himself. They therefore resorted to use force to remove Roman hegemony. The Herodians were a party which supported the dynasty of Herod, who ruled in submission to Rome. For instance, Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee and Perea. He loved the way of Rome. They supported Rome and its pagan ways. They gladly paid Roman taxes. The Pharisees and Herodians, natural enemies, now coming together to destroy their common enemy, Jesus, the eternal Son of God. We are told that they took counsel. They rehearsed what they would speak to this Jesus. Must people pay tax? You see, there were a number of taxes uh, Romans levied from the Jews. First one was the ground tax. 10% of grain and one-fifth of wine and oil. And then there was an income tax. That was 1% of all cash income. Then there was a poll tax, which, of course... The zealots and the Pharisees particularly resented. 
every Jew, every male Jew, 14 years through 65 years, must pay a poll tax just for existing. You pay a tax, one Roman denarius. And every female Israelite, 12 years through 65 years, must pay one denarius altogether. We read that they paid about 33% in tax to Rome. And so they come after rehearsing their coming to Jesus for a confrontation for the specific purpose of trapping him, hoping that he would speak against this tax. And then, of course, they could charge him with sedition, with rebellion against Roman authority, and hand him over to Rome, and they will dispose him off. They came asking a theological question, is it lawful meaning? Is it according to scripture? That's the idea. Is it lawful? It's a theological question. It's a religious question. They came to Jesus pretending to be sincere, but full of malice. They used flattery. Oh, they spoke about Jesus as a man of integrity. That he teaches the way of God truthfully. They acknowledge that he was fearless. He doesn't care who thinks what about him. And also they acknowledge that Jesus Christ did not show partiality. There was no respect to persons. They are using, as I said, flattery. The language of all politicians. They thought they could throw Jesus off guard. They thought he would buy all this flattery. Oh, you and I may buy it, but not the Son of God. Then they framed the question in such a way. They thought he had to answer yes or no. They wanted to impale Jesus upon the horns of a dilemma. If he says yes, you must pay taxes to Rome. Then, of course, he will become instantly unpopular because most people resented it. But if he says no, then, of course, he will be handed over to Rome for teaching sedition. And that is the answer they expected. The no answer. Remember, in Matthew 19, some people came to Jesus asking about divorce. And the question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Of course, there were two schools of thought. And they thought Jesus would either side with the liberal school of Hillel, Rabbi Hillel, who would allow divorce for any and every reason, or he would side with the orthodox school of Shimei, which was more conservative. But Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is greater than Solomon. He is the God of Solomon. His answer silenced them also. He said, in the beginning it was not so. He did not side with any fallible authorities. He affirmed the scripture. 
in the beginning it was not so. Even so here they try to trap him with flattery and a trick question. Jesus knows he is omniscient. He called them hypocrites. I like that blunt, plain address. Or to call you are a hypocrite. But here the Son of God, he says, you hypocrites. Jesus knew what was in man. He knows our hearts, thoughts, and imaginations. You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Hypocrite is one who says one thing and means another. Most politicians fit this category. He pretends one thing and intends another. So they came to trap Jesus and listen to the answer of brilliance. Jesus said, show me the tribute money, the money with which you are already paying taxes to Caesar. They brought him a silver coin, a Roman denarius. Coinage is a sign of kingship. As soon as a king comes to the throne, he struck his own coinage. The coinage was held to be the property of the king whose image it bore. Taxes were to be paid to Rome in the coin of the emperor. The emperor's authority extends to all places where his coin circulates. The coin of Caesar circulated in Israel. This means the people of Jerusalem were in fact under the authority to Rome. The denarius bore the image of Caesar. Oh yes, they brought him one. And on it, it was written, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, Pontifex Maximus. Meaning the high priest. Jesus asked the question, whose portrait is this? The answer, Caesar's. Whose inscription is this? Caesar's. You see, these hypocrites were already paid. They were not interested in any kind of answer from Jesus. They were paying taxes. They were subservient to Rome for many, many years. Whose inscription? Caesar's. What Jesus is demonstrating here is this. The fact that the Caesar's coin is circulating in Judea means Judea is recognizing Rome's dominion and Judea's submission to Rome. In reality, in fact, Judea is under Rome. Judea recognizes its mission to Rome already. Roman coins circulate here. Oh, it was sin against Almighty God that caused Israel to come under the dominion of Assyria, Babylon, and now Rome. There have not been a theocracy for many centuries. We know that. Yet they pretended that they were a free people. The fact was that they were subject to Rome because of their unbelief and disobedience to the God of the covenant. Long ago, prophet Jeremiah in chapter 27 said this, 
Why will you and your people die by the sword, famine and plague with which the Lord has threatened any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? But the false prophets spoke against this will of God and destruction by Babylon followed. So with the coin of the emperor, Jesus pushed into the hypocrite's face the fact of their enslavement to Rome. He humiliated them. And then he says, pay up, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, which means pay up, tribute to him. Because he provides you Roman organization, security of person and property, facilities of transport, a legal system. And so he has to have tax. It is the acknowledged fact wherever Caesar's coin circulates, he has the right to collect taxes from them. You are under Caesar already. Therefore, you pay what you owe him. But that was not the end. The brilliance is, and to God, pay up what you owe him. God has ordained after the fall the sphere of state. Before the fall, God ruled by his word. But after the fall, there are three spheres of authority all under God and his Christ. There is the sphere of family, there is the sphere of state, and there is the fear of the church. Family, of course, the father and mother together rules as authority. The children, in the fear of God and accountable to God, parents are God's delegated authority in the family. And children are to submit and obey them in the Lord. And God has granted the parents the power of the rod. I feel sorry for you if you have not used it. I feel sorry for you if you fail to rule your family for God. I feel sorry for you if you are raising rebels who will not bow down to my God and Christ. You will have failed if you did not teach your children fear of God. You failed as God's delegated authority. And may you repent this morning and function the way God has intended you to function as his delegated authority, ruling that family for God. And of course there is state, which is another sphere. And the Westminster Confession to the third chapter, we read this, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. Yes, state. Caesar is ordained by God since the fall to promote justice to prevent social chaos, 
The state is God's servant to do good, to punish the wicked. They are to commend those who do right. But state is accountable to God. Is responsible to God. And God has granted the state the power of the sword to deal with the wicked. And then the church, that's another sphere over which also God rules. The elders are God's delegated authority under Jesus Christ, the head of the church. They proclaim the gospel that sinners might be saved to worship and serve God in the world. And their power is the power of the key which admits people and puts them out. They have no police powers that belongs to the state. They don't even have a rod that belongs to the family. The authority of the church is spiritual authority. And the leaders of the church have the authority to admit you and also to put you out when such expulsion is warranted in accordance with the scripture. All three institutions are under God. Under Jesus Christ, who is over all, the Bible says. However, the state often wants to overreach and dominate the family and the church. And you see that in the superscription. Caesar is called divine. And Caesar calls himself as Pontifex Maximus, the high priest. He is encroaching the spiritual dimension as his domain. The true state, the biblical way the state should operate is revealed in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. To promote justice, to punish the wicked, to commend the righteous, to be accountable to God. But the state frequently moves away from the sphere. God has assigned to it. And it becomes demonic. As we read in Revelation 13. It becomes a beast. And blasphemes God. And we read he opened his mouth to blaspheme God. And to slander his name and his dwelling place. And those who live in heaven. As Carl Henry says, fascism, Nazism, communism, all these isms divorced the state entirely from divine responsibility. Even today you can find demonic governments throughout the world that refuse to submit to God but pretends to be God and persecutes and kills the people of God. What should we say to these things? We say this. When the state commands what the Bible forbids. And when the state forbids what the Bible commands. We disobey the state and we obey God rather than men. Yes, we recognize we have dual citizenship. Every Christian. Belongs to a state. And also he belongs. To the kingdom of heaven. 
So it is the will of God, therefore, that the people of God to be dual citizens. Every Christian is a citizen of the country in which he lives, but he also is a citizen of heaven. The centurion asks, St. Paul in Acts 22, are you a Roman citizen? He says, I am. And he was. But he also knew that he belonged to the kingdom of heaven. He says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. As citizens of this world, Jesus wants us to be good citizens, taking part in the political life. But you see, the ungodly liberals, they get jittery. They worry when Christians become politically active as though it is unnatural. Christians ought to be the best citizens of a country involved in the political affairs of that state. But they don't want you to be active. They want you to function in a bayou, outside of the marketplace. Get lost. Don't ever believe that lie. It comes from the mouth of the serpent himself. We need to be informed of what our elected representatives are doing. Involve in democratic process, pay taxes, pray for authorities, vote for the candidate of our choice, protest anti-Christian policies and laws, protest injustice, vote out of power arrogant and unresponsible politicians, persuade others with your Christian point of view, support policies that help the weak and the downtrodden, Support policies that promote biblical morality. Speak against the rape of our environment. Speak against pollution of our school system. Speak against policies that destroy families. But we are also citizens of heaven. We are Christians. Jesus Christ is Lord of all the spheres. We must render to him his due. The denarius which bore the image of Caesar belonged to Caesar. He owned it. Even so, we bear the image and likeness of God by virtue of creation and by virtue of redemption. So we are gods. He owns us. He is Lord. He has absolute authority over us. No father has absolute authority over his children. No state has absolute authority over its citizens. But the authority of Christ is absolute. We must render him his due. We owe him and him alone worship and adoration. We therefore come together to worship our triune God in spirit and truth. He created us. He redeemed us. We have been accepted in the beloved. We rejoice in worshiping him alone with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. And we read in Colossians 1.16, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him were all things created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. 
God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the age to come. He alone is Lord and Christ. Every knee shall bow before him and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God our Father. So we worship him for we are his. We fear him therefore and we shun evil. We keep away from all filth and evil. How can we do such wicked things? Whatever they are and sin against God who owns us, who is holy, who is righteousness. Like Job, Christians should be blameless fearing God by shunning evil. We must love God. That's something we render to him. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. And his commandments to us are not grievous, so said Jesus Christ. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He has given us a new nature, a divine nature. So we think his thoughts, we will his will, and we delight in his ways. In Matthew 22 we read, But Jesus speaks about the first and the greatest commandment. Which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does the Lord require of us? To do justly. That means to do righteousness. To show mercy. And always walk humbly. Before our God. Render unto God what is due him. We have been bought with a price. Paul says therefore honor God with your body. Our body belongs to him. So live for the glory of God alone. Paul says elsewhere. So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. Do it all for the honor and glory of God. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth. As a result of his incarnation, he alone brought glory to God. How? By completing the work you have given me to do. When we obey God, we render unto him his due. We honor him, we glorify him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And render unto God that which is God's, he says. Jesus rejects the claim of Caesar that he is divine. Caesar, Tiberius, Caesar, Augustus, son of divine Augustus. That's blasphemy, that's idolatry. Pontifex Maximus. Render that which is God's. He denies that he is the Pontifex Maximus. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He is the great high priest. Therefore, we will not worship Caesar and we will not obey Caesar. Caesar. 
when he demands obedience to him which is contrary to the supreme law of God in the scripture. When Caesar becomes demonic, we oppose him with all our God-given strength. And so Jesus put Pilate in his place when Pilate said to him, Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? But Jesus said, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. There is an above. There is a God who is above all. We worship him and obey him absolutely. Nebuchadnezzar became demonic. And he set up an image. And demanded. The godly three Hebrew boys to fall down and worship. They said no. They were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. So Christians by the thousands refused to worship the demonic Caesars. And they were killed. But Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So we fear him. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the hypocrites who came to trap Jesus, the eternal son of God, they were astonished at the answer of Jesus. They were humiliated. They could not impale him upon the horns of a dilemma. These spies became silent. Jesus shut them up. Because they were convicted by his answer, they were silent. They were not rendering to God that which was God's. He came to his own, his own received him not. They refused to repent and believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king. They hated him. They were children of the serpent. They were agents of Satan. They will not worship Christ. They will not love Christ. They will not fear Christ. They will not trust Christ. They will not be saved. Soon these would declare before Roman procurator Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. They thus rejected the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the king of the world, the savior of the world, and put themselves outside of the banqueting hall. May God deliver us from hypocrisy in this new year. Let us be good citizens of this country. But let us render to God that which is God's. As Dr. Drewer, a Dutch theologian, said, The coin bears Caesar's image. Man bears God's image. So give the coin to Caesar. means pay tax. But give yourself wholly to God. Have you surrendered wholly? To Jesus Christ, I mean holy, absolutely holy. You bear his image, give yourself wholly to him, trust him, love him, obey him, live for him alone. This year and all the years he gives you. On the face of this earth.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you have mercy upon us. Help us to understand we have dual citizenship. But, oh God, the kingdoms of this world will soon be destroyed. You will shake all things. To demonstrate there is only one kingdom that will abide, which is the kingdom of God. Help us, therefore, oh God, not to store up our treasures in this world. Help us to love God and surrender to you. We bear your image. You own us. You bought us with a price. This morning, help us to make a resolution to render to God that which is God's. By complete surrender, total worship, and complete obedience to the holy will of God, that we may glorify you and enjoy you forever. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.